The Santa Claus 3 introduces a villain in Jack Frost and takes inspiration from It's a Wonderful Life for its own take on the What If story. That said, most of the film is actually about tricking the olds into thinking the North Pole is Canada. Welcome everyone to the Collector's Cut. I am Peter and joining me as always is Ho 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 David. Remember kids, how much your parents love you depends on how much they spend on your gift. Absolutely. That's, that's, that, everyone knows that. Yeah. That's how this works. Yeah, uh, this is the Collector's Cut. We talk about movies on this show. We do a movie per episode and we work through franchises or maybe like a uh, like a, a theme of movies, you know, we'll do four of a subgenre or something. But here, of course, we are working through the Santa Claus trilogy, and this is going to be the third and final entry, and at least the movie part of the series. Obviously, there's a new mm. TV show from Disney Plus to extend a bit further, uh, but <laughs> um, this is going to be us talking about Santa Claus Three: The Escape Clause. So, oh boy, yeah, we'll get into it. We'll start spoiler free as we always do. Although, as always, worth mentioning when we're doing spoiler free on a sequel. There might be spoilers for the previous entries if, you know, it's relevant. But mm-hmm. we'll start spoiler free. We'll give you a word before we get spoilers. Uh, but we'll get into it. So, yes, once again, Tim Allen is Santa Claus. He's Scott Calvin. He's in the North Pole. Obviously got married in the last movie. So now he's got his wife, played by Elizabeth Mitchell. The movie came out in 2006. Is directed by Michael Lembeck. Can't say if I've ever heard of this name before. Let's just have a quick nope. check on who this uh, douchebag is. Um... <laughs> Let's see. Oh, he did the uh, the Tooth Fairy with Vin Diesel a few, oh. a few years later. Yeah. Boy, that sure is a... <laughs> anyway. Uh... A lot of TV episodes. Oh, he did Santa Claus 2. Oh, that's okay. a, he's a returning All right. director. All right. That, that actually genuinely surprises me. I uh, feel like this is probably more of like they're just a Disney in-house director where it's like, we just need somebody competent because I'm looking through a couple more of these and I see like the direct-to-video sequel to uh, High School Musical, Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure. <laughs> Just a couple of those strike me in that way. Uh, that's fair enough, yeah. Uh, done a lot of TV sitcom episodes, like 20-plus mm-hmm. episodes of Friends, 20-plus episodes of Two Guys, A Girl, and A Pizza Place. So yeah, that, that's who we've got here as a, as a director. Uh, so no one particularly notable, which is not surprising, because this obviously is a kid's movie, uh, and... More so the second one felt like a kid's movie versus the first movie, which is obviously very right. kid-friendly, but we noted how the second one was like, oh no, there's a lot of kid movie logic all of a sudden. It it definitely earned that G rating. Yes. Uh, which is very different from earning the R rating. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> very, very different end of the spectrum, shall we say. So, yeah, um, this one is the, the entry that has two things. I'd never seen this before. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't believe you had either. No, I had not. No. Uh, I I remember seeing the trailers for it. I remember that being in front of a whole bunch of like Disney DVDs at the time. Oh, sure. And uh, gotta say, I checked out some of those trailers again after watching this movie. Those trailers just lie. They just straight up like almost half the trailers are from shots that are not used in this movie. <laughs> they, they just straight up lie. Is it lying though, or is it they just hadn't done editing the movie yet, and like all the shots the like, the trailer people picked for their cut just ended up not being the ones that were used? Okay, 
yes, possibly. But at that same time, I need to be a little angry at this movie. So just let me have this. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm glad you've got some uh, fire in you for this. Because I don't think I feel anything, honestly. Like if, I, if we're getting into just how we feel about the film, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll give you the plot synopsis in a minute. Um, mm. I, I feel very little from this. I feel a natural continuation of what the second one was. You've got most of the cast back again. Uh, I didn't realize Judge Reinhold was in anything in 2006, but here he is in Santa yep. Claus 3. So, fair play. Uh, notably, Elizabeth Mitchell, who I mainly know from Lost. I'm pretty sure she would have started her tenure on Lost a f- maybe a few months before this came out. Because she debuted on Lost in the start of season 3, which I yeah. think would have been 2006. That would have been like September, October 2006. So I mean, I do wonder the turnaround time because, I mean... Obviously, TV shows have a much faster turnaround time oh, than sure, movies. Yeah. But for something like Lost, I feel like there's probably a larger turnaround time. And for something as low budget as this, <laughs> I feel like it may actually be the flip side this time. Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, if, if anything, she probably shot this. In, well, not in between because she wasn't in season two. But you know what I mean? Like before mm-hmm. season three started filming, would be my guess. Right. But I mean, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's just it's just interesting. She was already in like a second one of these uh, mm-hmm. when she was appearing on Lost. I just thought it was kind of kind of funny yeah uh but not only do we have a lot of the, the council of magical characters back we also have alan arkin as as the in-law that he's elizabeth mitchell's mother i don't believe mother? he was in the last one father yeah. not mother i said i said i said mother <laughs> <laughs> but you, the, the in-laws weren't in the last one were they no no they're new oh, they're, they're the new element yeah. to this yeah mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's what I was trying to say. Sorry, I, 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 oh, okay. I, maybe I made that unclear. But I was trying to say that the new characters. There's also a very young Abigail Bresling in a in a very small role that I recognized. Yeah, that, that surprised me until I realized that uh, Abigail Breslin is the sister to Spencer Breslin, who is Curtis the Elf from this and the last movie. Yeah, I discovered that as well when I when I double checked to see if it was her. I noticed that his name was like, wait, are they related? And sure mm-hmm. enough. And what's funny is that she's obviously the one that's been on to have a career that I recognize. Yeah. <laughs> and he's been in things. If you look at his IMDb page, he, he is in things. But, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know. I just, I love looking at their, like, IMDb pages and his About Me section. It's just your generic, like, born on this day, doing whatever. Yeah. Then you go to Abigail Breslin's and it's like, the Academy Award nominated actress <laughs> sought after for all of her talents. It's like, okay, well, we know who the favorite child is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least after they started getting roles anyway, one became the favorite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor Spencer's in therapy. Try to deal with yeah. the fact that your sister's way more talented than him. Uh, so poor spencer's in therapy because he had to start in the cat in a hat oh geez oh man yeah yeah uh so yeah uh, the only thing of note i guess is not back is bernard's not back i guess he just aged too much to even pretend apparently no? apparently according to trivia uh he was on the tv show numbers and it was just a scheduling ah, thing oh, where he I could see, not I get see. out of it because curtis is the head elf now they mentioned that mm-hmm. in passing in this yep uh so yeah fair enough fair enough uh they bring Lucy back, the the you know the the the, the niece character. They bring Lucy back and essentially make her new Charlie. Honestly, in terms of central plot point. If I'm to give this movie a positive statement, I would say that recognizing that she was probably the best character in the second movie <laughs> and elevating her status to more important was probably a smart choice. That's fair. I think that. I think that out of all of the ways that this plot could have gone, having Charlie once again be the, like, 
little boy sort of like believing in Christmas. It's like, no, no, he's like 17 now. Let's just, we'll give it to the kid. And even then, she's even a little bit old in this movie. I think she's like 12 years old now. She will be, yeah. She'll be about that age. Yeah. Uh, but it works well enough in like, yeah, she is definitely playing a bit younger than she's supposed to be because mm-hmm. her whole plot point of like, or or hugs warm people's hearts. I'm like, yeah, twelve year olds, like twelve year olds are like, yeah. no, no, horrible. No one wants to be near a twelve year old. Okay, twelve yeah. year olds are are miserable. Absolutely. They're just hitting puberty in a big way. They're they're <laughs> you know they're agitated all the time. So yeah, you don't want to be around a twelve year old. But no. whatever, like they're they're they're. Pl- this is four years after the last movie. Um, if anything. You said that Charlie's 17. Like, I think that's how they, again, how they play him in the movie. But if you do the math, he he should actually be like 20, probably. Yeah, because it was, uh, they specifically showed semi minor spoilers. They a- end up activating the escape clause at one point. And, um, they specifically show that the first movie happened 12 years prior to yeah. the Christmas set of being shown in this movie. So, you figure he's well, which is, you know, for, which seven to, or eight in the last one. Yeah, he's probably pushing twenty. Which to be clear, as as real time, like it's, it'd been mm-hmm. twelve years since the original movie. You know, they, they were just being accurate with like how much time had passed. So yeah. if he's eight in the original movie, yeah, he should be. He, like I, I thought they were going to say, oh, he's in college, but they kind of played it more like he's still in high school and he still has they, to answer to his he, parents. Honestly, he's not even like a character in this movie. Oh yeah, he's not in much of it. He's, he's got a couple of scenes, but yeah, uh, you know, it's just, they're definitely playing a little bit with the ages of, of characters and mm-hmm. you know, how things line up, but yeah. But I, all, all this to say though, um, is that I, uh, I just, I don't really feel much from it. By, by no, that's fair. I chuckled, I mean, I chuckled a couple of times at like mm. one or two little jokes but oh, yeah. that, that was about it if we're if we're talking about characters though i feel like the one that we have to talk about is the newcomer martin short is jack frost he has completely <laughs> glossing over that he has one or two okay like moments he's you know the, probably i mean the one exchange that probably made me chuckle the most in this entire movie is lucy telling him to chill and he mm. just yells back i invented chill i i guarantee you that is the line that the writers were most proud of. <laughs> probably, probably. The, you know what? It got a little reaction out of me. I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give it. I'll give it that. But yeah, that's. I, I think. I think Martin Short is a. Com- he's a funny actor. He's a funny guy. He does a lot of good comedic roles, but he also like he had to play this conniving sort of aspect in this movie the mm. entire time. Jack Frost, just for a brief plot, he's. He's sick of being overlooked when it comes to the winter season by Santa. Santa is, of course, the bigger guy. And so he's plotting to take Christmas away from Santa. And that's just his whole movie is him doing that. Yeah, he's, he's, he's pissed that he doesn't have his own holiday. He wants to steal mm-hmm. Christmas. And he, he's trying the whole movie. I, the biggest, like, if I'm making a, a more of a constructive critique of this movie, and we'll get mm-hmm. into kind of the ins and outs of how it all plays out, but... Is that I think it feels kind of lopsided in like what its premise is because, like, there's, yes. a, there's a big there's a big plot point that sets up like what the then the goal for for Scott the main character is and it happens at the end of Act Two, get into Act Three, and all I could feel was like, if you just pull that back down to like the end of Act One and mm-hmm. have that be the main plot rather than rushing this entire what the real story of the movie is in the last like twenty five minutes. 
it might have worked into a nice little kids movie <laughs> see that's what was bugging me the most was that you're saying that that happens at the end of act two but like everything in the movie felt like act one right up until that point like act three oh sure yeah yeah, yeah. it it just all of a sudden not to give too much away here but I have written in my notes that the escape clause, the literal whole thing that the movie is centered around, is not used until 50 minutes into this 90-minute movie. Yeah, it's and it, is, it is resolved immediately. <laughs> it's not immediately. It may as well be in terms of just percentage of movie. Uh, well, yeah, that's just kind of what I'm getting at, though, is that, that feels like the... It feels like Act 2 should be the struggles of trying to deal with what's happened with the escape mm -hmm. clause. And instead, everything just goes really quickly because it's like, well, no, this is this is only Act 3. It should be, yeah. like, the majority of the movie, but it's only the last part of it. Uh, yeah. So, no, yeah, I, I agree that in essence, it is just Act 1 up until that point, but in terms of actually breaking down the runtime, it's the end of Act 2. Like, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's where we are in terms of the runtime in the movie, which is the problem, but... Because uh, up until that point, it's mostly just jokes hanging around the North Pole, having various characters interact with the elves. Because uh, mm -hmm. that's the big thing in this movie, really, is that uh, not only do the in-laws come for for Christmas, uh, although they're not they're not allowed to notice the North Pole. So we'll get into spoilers what they're doing to disguise that. But uh, yeah, save it, save it. Okay. And then, right. but for the first time, and we actually get more of Judge Reinhold and the the ex-wife in this one because they come to the mm -hmm. North Pole. So we get them having fun around the North Pole with Lucy. Uh, hmm. No one cares about Charlie. He's off snowboarding somewhere. <laughs> so that's the setup of the movie. Uh, and the council of, of, like, you know, mystical beings comes back. And also, just to show you, I just noticed at the bottom of the IMDb page, I recognized hmm. a face, and I was like, wait a minute, what do I know her from? And so it's actually one of the main characters from Yellow Jackets, the TV show that was on uh, just at the... So end start of the year just you know so okay. almost a year ago now um she's actually listed here as elf number one i just recognized her photo because i because when I, you know i saw it all the time when i was reviewing yellow jackets oh okay so just uh so i mean i i literally could not point her out in this movie if you held a gun to my head i absolutely have no idea who well, she was I, well i've seen her in another show and i don't think i could point her out either because she's no. you know she's probably like 10 in this but yeah. <laughs> um I, I just noticed that there so there you go. Um, yeah. Uh, so we have basically Scott trying to cheer up his wife because she's basically missing other adults to talk to. And she's pregnant. Mm. That's you know, the start of the movie. She's pregnant. And, she, you know, he says, what if we bring your in-laws here so you've got family around you for, you know, Christmas and the build up to the, mm. the birth. And she's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And the, the running joke with the in-laws is basically that they're very judgmental about everything that their, like, their daughter's marriage is, which is, just because from their perspective, oh, like, she got married to this guy, and now she's just, like, hidden away from us all the time. And we know why, because she's in the North Pole, and it's all secretive, but... I mean, to be fair, if if all <laughs> that they knew is what we saw in the Santa Claus 2, mm -hmm. she was a respected principal. The holidays hit over the course of, like, a month where she maybe talked to them occasionally. And then on Christmas Eve, she disappeared. Her entire life absconded. <laughs> and then just was like, hey, by the way, Mom and Dad, I'm married and we moved up to Canada. Um, see you soon. 
I I would be concerned as an in-law at that yeah, point. I mean, that's, I'd be like, that's fair. I mean, it sounds like she's at least calling them. I mean, yeah, <laughs> at fair. least. Uh, that said, though, there was a moment, like, in the middle of the movie where the father-in-law just, like, grabs her by the shoulder and says, if you're being held against your will, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, like, yeah, I'll, I'll give it this, right? They mm. have a lot of characters. They try and give them all something to do in the story. And the general idea of the escape clause, I actually think it's a fine idea for a plot. It just, it would be nice if they actually devoted the bulk of the movie to it. Instead of, it's almost like it's an inconvenience to actually do the plot. So they're just kind of, oh, we have to get to that, I guess, because we're almost on our end. So that's, yeah. <laughs> let's just get to it. Yeah, honestly, I think that that is the biggest problem I have with the movie is the fact that this is just two rival plots that don't play well together. You have mm. the in-laws plot and you have the Jack Frost plot. And everything about the movie going into it screams that the Jack Frost plot's going to be the primary plot and that the in-laws is more of a B-plot sort of thing. Where going by runtime, though, it's kind of the opposite. Where Jack Frost, like, he stokes the fires of the in-law plot so that it keeps on getting more and more screen time. And then his actual plot itself is, again, relegated to what can generously be called the third act. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing, because it's like, I could see them playing better together in, in some mm -hmm. ways, but because of the way the movie's structured and the way that Jack Frost interacts with the other plots going on, where he's kind of around the North Pole being mischievous for like a while, yeah. it, it all feels at that point like the in-law stuff is the main thing we're following, and that's the main thing going on. And yeah. then... When it turns to Jack Frost plot, it does turn completely to his plot. Like you know, the, the, when that moment hits, it does completely because quite literally, time is rewritten so that it is <laughs> only ever his plot. <laughs> but the, the the thing with that though is that because of that, once that happens, the in laws are basically they can't be in the movie then until everything's resolved. So they they are so separated because of that mm -hmm. uh, that it, it makes it rough to deal with. Um, so I, the solution is probably just to make them a lesser part of the movie, but at the same time, I guess they get all Alan Arkin, they thought, we need to have more Alan Arkin <laughs> react to things. I mean, yeah, but is it worth sacrificing literally the entire structure of the movie? Well, obviously not, but... Yeah, that's like... <laughs> that's clearly what they thought. <laughs> see, that's why, that's why I'm passionate about this. That's why it's actually made me a little bit angry, because, yes, I did go into this... Like, I knew what I remembered from the trailers. And that was literally just the Jack Frost plot. I, I swear to you, go find any promotional information on this movie, anything at all. The in-laws are not even mentioned. It is <laughs> only the Jack Frost plot. So as soon as we get to minute number 45 of this movie, and we're still harping mostly on the in-laws, I'm like, just stop. I'm so bored of this. I'm so... Because I know that we still have this entire part of the movie left. And I know that like, especially because they get into the whole thing of, they explain very early on of how the escape clause works because Curtis just blurts it out because he's an idiot. And he explicitly says that time is rewritten so that Scott would never be Santa Claus. If he does this whole rigmarole of wishing that he wasn't Santa and that's fine. But then as soon as that's explained, 
A, it's a Chekhov's gun and that you know he's going to do it. From that moment on, it's going to happen. And then B, because of it being the time being rewritten, you know that all of this petty little drama stuff going on at the North Pole of like, oh no, Scott's not spending enough time with his wife. And oh no, the Inglaws don't think that Scott is a good husband. And oh no, there's all this chaos in North Pole. None of it's going to matter because time will literally be rewritten as of 12 years ago. So I don't like the entire first 50 minutes. I know for a fact that all of this stuff that they're building up to be such high stakes is completely inconsequential to what the climax of the movie is going to be at all. That's what upsets me the most about it. <laughs> Do you know what makes me think of, though? Because, it, like, this idea of it just wanting to spend time with the characters and then it's like, oh shit, we have to have a plot for the last half hour. This mm. makes me think of other kids' stuff, though. Uh, not so much, like, good kids' movies, but, like, stuff that is made for, like, a Disney Channel or stuff that's made... Mm-hmm. Uh, with with like you know maybe like Nickelodeon TV movies and things like that, or and this is not a kids movie, but this is a weird thing to to bring up as a reference. But did you ever see the Space World movie? I've seen people talking about the Space <laughs> World movie. Right. So that this is like maybe the most egregious example that I've ever seen of what I'm describing here, which is that movie is just a series of them doing things. It's just vignettes of them in different scenarios, and then in the last twenty minutes, oh, there's a dispute with some drama where they fall out with their manager and that's the plot mm-hmm. right but it doesn't actually happen until the last like 20 minutes if that right um mm-hmm. that's what this makes me think of it makes me think of this movie exists to spend time with these characters and have jokes and it doesn't care about being a functioning movie with like an actual narrative that you know propels it as it goes on uh yeah so which and that's I not guess. me defending it that's just this is what i'm just making me think of oh yeah yeah, and I mean, I completely agree. I think that that is where its primary focus is, is that it is focusing more on, hey, we're just going to have these cute, fun little character moments. But it is, I don't know. I think last movie we talked about how the marrying someone angle and the toy Santa taking over angle didn't really mesh that well, but it still managed to just kind of like pull it all together in the end. They but- they at least felt like they were weighted properly, where the marriage thing yeah. felt like the primary A plot and the toy side exactly. thing felt like the B plot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this one, it felt like what they were trying to do was give Scott enough stress that it fed into the I don't want to be Santa Claus thing. And I think that the one small change that could really make it work is if he wasn't tricked into it. Like Jack Frost for like tricks him into the whole rule is that you have to say a very specific phrase of I don't want to be Santa Claus. I wish I wasn't Santa Claus at all or something like that. I wish I was never Santa Claus. I think was I wish I was never Santa Claus at all. Yeah. And then you have to be holding what I guess is your specific snow globe that represents your time as Santa. MacGuffin. You're MacGuffin. (laughs) You're MacGuffin. Exactly. Um, And he's tricked into it. He explicitly says, no, I wouldn't activate the escape clause. Like things are like, I'll be able to get through this, but I wouldn't trade my time for anything. So he has to be tricked into doing this. So even though he had all of this stress beforehand, it wasn't him ever consciously making the choice and then realizing like, oh, like what a wonderful life wise of, oh, what have I done? Things were truly better. That's what you're getting at is if he actually made that choice and kind of wished he wasn't Santa Claus because he was too stressed. 
then yeah you'd basically be doing this this franchise's version of it's a wonderful life it's be like okay he's going to get to see what his life would be like if he never became santa claus and how right. shitty it is and therefore he's going to appreciate everything by the end but that's not what happens in the movie so you say that's not what happens but i feel like as soon as he goes back and he ends up living this completely other life it does just do that it literally does the whole he goes around and sees how bad everything well, no, no, is no, no, he sees no, that is no no it functionally does it but i'm saying it doesn't actually yeah. do it like it doesn't like because he doesn't actually feel that and then sees like no, right. no no i'm actually thankful for all the things i do have and i'm thankful to like he never actually felt like that he never felt like he didn't want his life he was just stressed yeah. because he, you know like it was, it was basically um yeah, you know, his buttons were being pushed all in every direction so that he was feeling mm. boiled up to trick him into saying the phrase. Um right. th- like the but the actual rest of the movie is just a quick like turnaround to try and get him to fix it, as opposed to like if you were actually doing the It's a Wonderful Life of the Santa Claus, you would have him probably try and enjoy part of his life a normal first. You you'd spend more time early yeah. on in the story with him going oh this is great i'm a rich man again i've got a nice penthouse i'm do- blah 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 i'm doing all these things and yeah. then he slowly starts to notice all the things that are bad all and how it's affected everyone else blah you know and so on and so on right and instead it, you know it's just it's a, it's a quick thing of like it's just trying to give him stakes it's like okay this is why i have to fix it because so, it's like it, what it's trying to do is is like he's not just fixing it because his life is worse he's trying to fix it because everyone else's around him life is also worse because he never became santa claus yeah <laughs> all right well i i don't think there's really much else we're going to talk about in terms of just you know mm. I mean, unless we want to talk about effects and like you know technical qualities before we get into spoilers uh, i mean i think it's a step up from previous movies but only just barely there wasn't much that I really noted with the effects. I mean, the the set at the North Pole does feel very like TV set esque. Like it feels mm-hmm. like a, a like a soundstage with a lot of fake stone shit. The yeah. only effect that really stuck out to me because there was a really bad one in the last movie with the like the flying reindeer and stuff. Right. There's mm-hmm. one in this uh, near the end, which I can't really say because of spoilers. But there's one effect towards the end I thought was like horrible. But I'll talk about that later. I'm trying to think what you're talking about. It's just, I mean, by that point in the movie, I was probably already checked out, but regardless. Uh, that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, you know, there's like one notable bad effect. I, I, other than that, though, there's not really much to say. I mean, it feels like the actors are having a nice enough time. It's probably because it's a really easy paycheck. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. For, for everyone except maybe Tim Allen, who has to, like, you know, get the whole suit on and the all the extra stuff. Maybe I'd say Tim Allen, Tim Allen and Martin Short were the only two in this movie that actually had to show up and deliver <laughs> that's fair because uh, I, I i really like alan arkin as an actor but it did kind of feel like he was just you know show up and just say his grumpy line and mm-hmm. that's it he doesn't have to do anything else uh you know flirt with aisha tyler a little bit uh which uh, <laughs> it's such a weird little thing to throw in there but sure why not <laughs> well i think in the moment because there's just this little moment where he puts his head on her shoulder uh mm-hmm. and this is like you know later on in the movie yeah and it's this sort of thing where he's kind of awkward and nervous about it and then just slowly does it and i think that the way it's meant to play it's meant to play that he's he's in awe because it's mother time or sorry mother nature i should say mm-hmm. and 
he's just kind of, and she kind of like pats him on the head and it's a sweet thing but all i but to, all i could see was like a, an older man going man aisha tyler is really hot oh, I'm oh gonna... absolutely <laughs> like... absolutely <laughs> that's I all i can see out, i will point out uh there are some bloopers deleted scenes whatever you want to call them at the end of this movie oh yeah in the credit um, show, yeah and while he's hitting on flirting with mother nature the easter bunny is hitting on the mother-in-law and it's a lot more raunchy than you would expect oh yeah honestly the little subplot of the easter bunny like saying it's not even an innuendo but there's just this vibe that he's kind of trying to like get with the the mother-in-law is like you know for a movie like as you point out is g-rated this is very suggestive yeah i mean i guess that it I guess that whoever did the rating, first off, they were just like, yeah, sure, Disney, you get a G or whatever. <laughs> uh, but second off, they probably were like, eh. I mean, there's a reason it's a deleted scene, that it's a blooper. It did not make it into the but movie proper. Did, yeah, because so. what, what does he say in the blooper? He says something like, hey, do you want some carrot juice or something like that? It was, but it was like, coming I from remember a- him saying, I remember him saying specifically, I'm built for speed and comfort, <laughs> which I was like, Dad, that's not okay. <laughs> like yeah there's a lot of suggestive connotations to what you're saying here to this woman mm-hmm. and then she bursts out laughing the actress bursts out laughing because it yeah. is obviously a very suggestive thing to say mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know it was a weird just little adult element that's just kind of sprinkled in there towards the end i feel like that was the entire legendary figures council though like every single one of them barring probably father time and sandman all of them were given just this weird little like yeah, you know, we've been alive for a while and it's been a while since we've actually done anything. Hint, hint. <laughs> like, all of them just had that. Cupid had that. Easter Bunny had that. I guarantee you Jack Frost would. Oh, yeah, Jack Frost is a kinky bastard. There's no denying well, that. No, yeah, there was that part when he uh, smack dab in the middle where he's talking to the mother-in-law and he's having her sing... Uh, whatever Christmas Carol, the one that has Jack Frost nipping at your nose in it. And he just has to repeat the line over and over again as he is getting some sort of deep erotic pleasure out of that. Yeah, well, I, I took that as half sexual, though, but half, like, an ego thing where he just he loves that someone's talking Absolutely. about him. You know, he's like, yeah. oh, my legend grows. Yes, my power comes from people talking about you say, me. You say his legend grows, but I guarantee <laughs> you. His icicle. Yes. <laughs> Uh, that's an easy joke that's an easy joke to me all right uh so yeah just full spoiler warning from this point on uh mm-hmm. i mean get into all the all the ins and outs of the movie uh yep. the movie wastes no time starting it just basically comes up with the title like, almost instantly and mm-hmm. introduces to the characters uh there's a council meeting there's a slight bookend where uh mrs claus is like talking to her class of elves which yeah it's a, a strange thing to me because i'm like Technically, these aren't supposed to be children. They're supposed to be, like, really old and know their stuff. But she still... Mm-hmm. It, it, it felt like this, like, oh, she wants to feel like she's doing something. So we'll give her a, a school to run. But Oh, absolutely. It is the pity job. Yeah. But it's it's even worse than that because they're not even interested. Like, they don't... They're not even there to, like, give her support. Of, like, thank you for teaching us. Literally, she's trying to teach a math question. And they're all like... Can... Can we learn about something that's actually important, please? (laughs) 
Well, they're all magical beings who to break the space-time yeah. continuum every Christmas. So, I mean, yeah. I, I guess, like, regular math questions just aren't that interesting to them because they break those rules all the time. You say that, but I feel like it's more of, like, being in a trade where it's like, the elves are like, I literally do not need to know anything about what you're talking about. I only need mm. to know if my hammer can build this little toy train set. Yes. Uh, so... You know, you can't have jokes, because in the last movie, like, two of the elves, like, they had a joke about how... I don't even think we brought this up in the review, but the, I think it was Curtis and, like, one of the, the other elves were in a were in a relationship, and it, the only time it came up is, uh, it's at one point he said, like, honey to, like, an elf. It says, Curtis, at home I'm honey. At here I'm, you know, whatever her name was. That was a joke in the last movie. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, so... And then, of course, in the first movie, you had that thing with, uh, was it Judy? Seeing someone in rapping, yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing someone that. in rapping. So you can't have it both ways. Either the joke is, is they're all, all actually adults and having adult lives where they have relationships and they've got houses mm -hmm. together in the North Pole uh, or whatever. Which, by the way, where is the residential area uh, in the North Pole for all the elves? Because it doesn't feel like, it feels like there's a lot of elves, but not a lot of places for them to live, but whatever. They they just have slave quarters down in the, <laughs> down in the basement. But yeah, so you can't have it both ways. You gotta have either the joke is is that they're all actual adults, but they look like kids, and we can have some mm -hmm. comedy from that. And they're like, ah, they're saying things that only grown-ups usually say, lol. Or they're actually kids. You don't really get it both ways. But this scene with them all being taught in class, it felt like no, they're acting like children. Yeah, honestly, I don't, I don't think they want us to think about that. It's not something that is supposed to be able to be squared. The only way that you could really get it is. If you say that they are all just some level of like they're basically elementary school dropout level of adults <laughs> where it's like, yeah, no, you you are technically old enough to know how to do these adult things, but you also don't know how to add fractions together. So that's the only way I could think to make sense of that. Mm, OK, OK. Uh, I, to be honest, I forgot this was a bookend at the start because when it went back to it at the okay. end, I was like, wait, oh yeah, yeah, classroom, I remember that. <laughs> this is literally the most useless bookend that I yeah. think I've ever seen in a movie at all. Yeah, I don't understand why it was a bookend though because like, the way it presents it, it's like, the, uh, the one of the elves says, you know, do you regret coming up to the North Pole and leaving your life behind? You know, was that you a big decision? You say one of the elves, I think that was Abigail Breslin. Uh, yeah, I think it was. That's the scene she's in. Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of the lead in of saying well yes but you know i became mrs claus and then something magical happened and it sort of like goes back to her being pregnant and mm -hmm. you know then at the very end we come back to this and then you know santa comes in with the baby like and his little like you know pouch thing that he's wearing yep. and mm -hmm. it's like uh, okay so it's not like <sighs> I, I guess the intent here was that thing where okay they, they asked the question do you regret, like, sort of giving up a normal life and being Mrs. Claus in the North Pole? And mm -hmm. then the story is, like, when that was put to the test and, like, Santa tried to help with it. But I don't know. I never really felt like we got much of an arc from her where she actually went through this journey of, like, doubting that she wanted to be here. And then, you know. Again, it's it's that same sort of thing of It's a Wonderful Life where they 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 kind of toy with that idea of maybe this is something that like, oh, I wish that I had some sort of a different life. And that's that's generally what the Scott story is in closer to the third act. But this particular part of it, 
yeah, they're setting this up in terms of, oh, well, do you ever wish that you weren't Mrs. Claus? And then they kind of get close to that, just showing throughout the entire next 50 minutes all the different ways that like, oh, it's so stressful around here at Christmas time and whatever else. But then when Jack Frost literally comes up to her and says like, oh, hey, do you ever regret doing it or whatever like that? She's like, no, not at all. And it's like, <laughs> well, what's the story we're even telling here then? What are you even like? Because this is the point where she's at her most stressed and she's still like, nah, we'll get through this. Which, which would be completely fine if it felt like a lie, because then that would be like subtext. But yeah. it didn't feel like a lie. It felt like a genuine response. <laughs> also, just just on the just on the topic of this being the booking bookends, why is it that the story that she is supposedly telling includes this entire other timeline that her <laughs> husband experienced? He must have mentioned it to her. <laughs> yeah, why not? Sure. It must he was like, yeah, no, no, honey, I definitely asked about you, but you weren't in that story. So we'll just, I'm just going to keep telling you what well, happened. That, but... that would be the thing. If, if, if it actually happened at the end of the first act, like it feels like it should have done. And mm-hmm. dare I say the movie was a bit longer because it's only 90 minutes. And I feel like oh, to, to do this story, if you're going to do it justice properly, you probably mm-hmm. need a little bit more time because I think one of the things that he would do once he's in this alternate timeline where he's not with her and it's this alternate present day it would be like hunting her down and like seeing where yeah. she is and seeing where, you know, she does, he does ask about her. Sure. But he, instead of like going to see her or figuring out where she is, he just, you know, like tries to, he, he goes straight to, this is how I fix this, which is yeah, obviously what it has to do. Cause we're already like near the end of the movie at that point. So he has to get going mm-hmm. with it. But, and I know that it's an unfair comparison against this movie to say back to the future too, because this is never going to be back to the future too. But that movie, I just looked up, is an hour and 48 minutes long, mm-hmm. which means that it only had about like 15 extra minutes to play with. And yet it made that change over to the bad timeline feel so much more well-earned and so much more natural to where the story was progressing. I really do think that this movie just wasted so much time on the look at all these hijinks going on at the North Pole that it couldn't be bothered to try to earn it. Bad to Future Part 2, I mean, it it, kind of does neatly break into just three acts, where Act 1 is, like, obviously it's in the future, which doesn't really apply to this movie, but it's in the future, Mm. doing its setup, and then the middle act is the bad timeline, and then the Mm. final act is that, okay, this is the the entire mission to fix this. So this is, you know, in the case of that movie, it's going back to the past. But, Mm -hmm. um, so... You know, alternatively, in this movie, the final act should be him realizing I need to go to this North Pole theme park <laughs> and mm-hmm. like confront Jack Frost and fix this. That yeah. should be where he gets to after like thirty minutes of really exploring and trying to live in the bad timeline. Yeah, but that means that we need to limit down the first timeline, the real timeline, down to just thirty minutes instead of the. 50 it actually was i don't think 30 feels unfair or unfeasible to be honest no it doesn't and yet for some reason they had to double it i don't get <laughs> that's what that's what's annoying me of course there is that scare that if you convince them of let's say hypothetically we were actually saying to the writers here you have to like make this part longer the worry mm-hmm. is is they wouldn't shorten the other part it would just be a two-hour movie <laughs> fair enough that's that's a concern but like if it, fine, extend the movie. If they want to extend the movie, that's fine. As long as they're extending the part that 
is the escape clause. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. Because well... if they manage to, if they <laughs> extend out the in-laws part to an hour and ten minutes, I will lose my mind. That uh, it's going to be a three-hour epic. You're going to get two hours of the in-laws, <laughs> and then maybe they'll do the escape clause at the two-hour mark. You know what I need in this movie? <laughs> I need the I need Santa to sit down with Bud, the the father-in-law, and I need him to go over for an hour the logistics of shipping to Australia, because that's <laughs> what was missing. That was the part that was really like, hmm, movie, you missed an opportunity there. Yeah. I think, I think part of it is the. This is funny to say this actually is I think the reason why it's over long is not even the in law stuff itself because I actually think you could condense that down without really losing much of that. I think most of the mm -hmm. jokes with in laws are fine and most of it could still fit in this condensed so you have the middle act feeling that the, the what it should be. I think mm -hmm. the thing that extends it out that you could cut down a lot of time on is Jack Frost himself. I know that sounds weird because we're saying that the Jack Frost stuff yeah. is not focused on, or the, the actual Escape Clause plot, once it gets going, is too condensed later. The problem with the this there to drag it out, though, is that once Jack Frost knows what he's trying to do from Curtis, because he convinces Curtis, to, or he tricks Curtis with some goading yeah. to tell him how the Escape Clause works, what it should really be is the next time we see Jack Frost, they should make it easier for him to get to the, the Globes, and just have him mm. do that. But instead, we get, like, I don't know, probably half a dozen different scenes of him, like, tampering with different things in the factory and failing to piss off Santa Claus. Yeah. Right? No, Cause and I mean, because that's literally, they literally get to the point where they say, Jack comes up to Santa and it's like, doesn't anything get to you? And he's like, no, work stuff's just a challenge, but family stuff, now that's a problem. And then Jack gets that little glint in his eye of just like, oh, okay, I need to cause family problems. Mm -hmm. Thus rendering 30 minutes of this movie completely moot where he was just causing work problems. Yeah. I think if you take it, other than the fact that a couple of his hijinks lead to some of the, like, you know, like fires or whatever that happens yeah. for the comedy in the other plot, mm -hmm. you could skip so much of all what Jack Frost is doing for the first, like, half hour if you just get him to the point where he knows where to go, go and get the globe, so he goes and gets the globe, and then maybe causes one fight with the family. And you could condense all that down, and you could keep most of the in-law stuff. Like, you know, the, the various yeah. things where, you know, the the mother, like, having the catty comment is like, oh, uh, your husband's ex-wife is here. I mean, if you're comfortable with that, <laughs> I guess I'm comfortable with it. Right. You know? Just the little comments like that. Um you know, the, the father-in-law criticizing things are a bit of a mess, or you're building this new room. Oh, no, I'll take over. The, 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 the joke that the father-in-law is like a handyman and he'll right. he'll do it. You know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. like, like, you can keep all that. I don't think that adds too much time to anything, to be honest, and it works. No. Uh, of course, the other running joke here we have to talk about is the the lie. The lie that they are saying to... Because they, they're not allowed to notice the North Pole because of this, you know, Santa... Uh, so secret of santa secret of santa yeah. claus yes um they're going to just protect because the lie that they've already given them is that she married a toy maker in canada so they're going to just redress a few things in the north pole and pretend it's canada which don't get me wrong i got a minor chuckle because basically they have sandman you know uh, Worf from star trek mm -hmm. next generation uh michael dorn uh they have him knock them out the idea being that they'll think they've just like slept on the flight and so they'll wake up at the north pole They'll think they flew there and it's Canada. When they wake up, they've got like, you know, 50 elves waiting for them. Yep. They wake up and the elves all go, 
Welcome to Canada. Eh? I'll admit, I got a slight chuckle out of the the Canada joke. I enjoyed that first Canada joke. The first one. Yeah, no, that's that's a key point. The first one was amusing. The first one was good. Here's, okay, just want to throw this out here. Did I forget? I remember in the very first movie Mm. that Scott, he was like, what do you mean I got to do this thing or whatever? And then Bernard chimes up like he starts singing Santa Claus is coming to town like as a whisper. And then the rest of the toy shop hears it and all chime in. They say making a list, checking it twice. Like Mm. they all sing that. Has there ever been another time where the elves speak in unison? (laughs) I don't think so. Because they did it like a dozen times in this movie and it was getting creepier every time they did it. (laughs) <laughs> like I, I don't know what it was but the elves in this particular one just felt a whole lot creepier than the other ones yeah sure yeah but that's the other thing actually maybe we mentioned this but obviously curtis has gotten four years older and he looks like he's gotten four mm-hmm. years older he's still a kid don't get me wrong he's not an adult yet but he's yeah you know he's went from being like nine to like 13 14 or something like that and i also want to throw out while all the other elves have gotten creepier i feel like they particularly turned up the annoying factor on curtis sure like everything i think that was part of the role because the whole thing was he was supposed to be annoying santa with a bunch Mm. of requests and while he's trying to do his family thing but you should never be annoying the audience there needs to be that limit there and i think he danced across that line quite happily yeah so they tell them that uh this is just how people in canada look they're all little that's why yeah. that's why they're all elf height. They're petite. Yeah, and I know it's a kids movie, but there's, you know, sometimes you just you know like <laughs> I I know that Alan Arkin looks around and goes uh huh, and it's meant to be like funny that he's not really buying it, but he's going along with it or you know or something to that effect. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. but you know there, there's definitely a level of absurdity to it. Um, likewise the in laws or the the ex wife and Judge Reinhold they come and clearly Lucy wants to go to the North Pole. And then Judge Reinhold guilts Tim Allen into it by saying, mm-hmm. look, your son's been there, right? And your new child is going to be born there and grow up there. So you're leaving our daughter out of this and that's going to make her feel really bad. And by, by extension, also her parents who would have to accompany her on any long, long <laughs> distance trips. So, you know, it's basically just all a bunch of issues to have those three characters around. But like I say, yeah. Lucy's kind of the heart of the movie. They realized they had a good idea with her in the last one. So they brought her back and they have her be kind of like the main kid that helps Santa out at times. Um, right. Even even in the new timeline, she doesn't really know him that well or like him that much. She still ends mm-hmm. up helping him. And, you know, we'll get to that later. We're talking about the, the can ending. I, but... Can I just... Last movie, mm-hmm. we talked about how Judge Reinhold's character, Neil, pretty much got flanderized. Yeah. yeah. Where he was he was kind of just a caricature for himself. Uh, I'd like to apologize for my comments in that last review <laughs> because this is peak flanderization. Did, oh, did you not enjoy at the start of the movie when he said, let's take an itinerary of our feelings? Between that, the <laughs> yoga session for the elves, and the part where the first thing he says to Scott upon his arrival is to lift up his sweater and show that it is a reversible sweater. Uh, yeah, no, loved it all. Couldn't find a flaw in any of it. <laughs> no, that's a really good point. We're talking about flanderization. I think that sweater moments are really key. Like, obviously, the main thing in the first movie, other than he's the new husband and all the 
the natural, you know, like antagon, yeah. antagonist role that he kind of offered because of that. Um, mm-hmm. it was a it was a therapist, right? And they, they made a couple of therapist jokes in the second one, but not a lot. But the one mm-hmm. thing he was always wearing those types of sweaters in the first movie, but the second movie made it more of a joke because they had that moment where he's like, "Doesn't it look sexy in the sweater?" And the wife's like, eh. right. "He's like, I thought you liked that sweater." He's like, "We'll talk later, hon." Right. Yeah. <laughs> this really stuck out to me in this one because they really did turn it into a, oh it's a signpost as soon as you see him there's a reference to the swearers because that's now yeah. his other thing he's the therapist and he has the old man like you know swears the what used to be called Cosby sweaters but yeah, I don't know what they're called anymore well well now they're the the Judge Reinhold and Santa yeah, Claus swears because the Cosby, Neil Miller sweaters yeah Co- Cosby's not allowed anymore. <laughs> Yeah. so yeah I, it's a very good point it's a very good point uh yeah yeah i mean and that's the other thing is i don't think any other character was really that flanderized obviously you have oh lucy was a cute little girl beforehand but now her hugs are literally magic and i honestly don't think elizabeth mitchell had any sort of flanderization mainly because her character throughout the entire second movie is such a hard ass that the fact that we just come, this is a new character. This isn't the same one that we met before. This is a woman who, you know, in the middle of a pregnancy had to deal with her whole life being uprooted and whatnot. Emotionally, she's just in a completely different headspace than she was in the last movie. So it's unfair to really even compare the two. Uh, Santa's still Santa. The ex-wife doesn't do anything particularly out yeah there. She, she has she's kind of she's there for a, quite a number of scenes but she's not really got like a character or much to do yeah. in the in, in the movie um mm. you know judge reinhold being slightly a bigger star and more of a comical character and then just inherently mm. because of who he is means yeah. he, he gets the lion's share of the funny moments when those two are are there oh absolutely uh yeah so you've got you've got um that set up this is why all the characters are there and you've got jack frost going around and sabotaging things by making the elves go for a cocoa break by describing the, the cocoa in painstaking yep. detail at them uh which he uses his frost powers and such to disable machines yeah and he's there of course uh because he was caught advertising for uh mary frostmas frostmas yes mary frostmas and he comes into this meeting at the start with the council and he's like, hey, I, it's really time to give me a holiday. And I'm not married to Frost, but it could be anything, you know, Frost of July or, uh, <laughs> you know, Frostgiving, you know, whatever you want to give me. Um, and they're like, look, we don't all have holidays. You, you're there to signify a season. You're not a holiday. Mm-hmm. Get over it. Uh, but he pleads for community service. Let me help Sarah. Let me be in his workshop making toys. Which, blah, blah, blah. Can, can I just, quite literally, the charge that is brought against him quote upstaging (laughs) santa that is the crime you are not allowed to be bigger than santa (laughs) i don't this sounds like a really dystopian sort of world going on behind the scenes where it's like oh what's that you want to get ahead in the world you want to try to put some effort in stop it santa's here i think the problem with that analysis is that this is not like industrial sabotage or like competition this is these magical characters have got defined roles that are not allowed to, you know. Because okay. Santa's not a person. Santa's a role that, that Scott ha- is fulfilling. He's He's gotten okay. that job, and he's fulfilling that job. Okay. 
to double back on that, though, that seems to be the only role that is not an immortal. Santa is the only one that can be replaced. We have seen no evidence that anyone else is not just some immortal being who is okay. timeless. Adding on top of that, I, I would if they I... were to be replaced, <laughs> what happens when Jack Frost becomes Santa? Is there a new Jack Frost? Well, that's a good question. I, I would just also put, to play the devil's advocate, there's also uh-huh. no evidence to suggest that a lot of them don't get replaced like Santa does. Like, I don't, I don't see why the Tooth Fairy or the Easter Bunny couldn't be swapped out with a new person, you know, or Sandman. You know? I mean, if as soon as Easter Bunny is replaced by just a normal human guy, that's just <laughs> a, that is straight up Cronenberg level of horror. Well, of that first year transformation. Yeah, Scott's body morphed into Santa, so why wouldn't you know? Yeah, no, no, he gets fat. He <laughs> yeah. gets he gets rosy. That's something. As soon as you start, <laughs> your feet start extending, your ears migrate up your head, and you start growing fur all over your body. That's a horror show. That's what they should do. They should do if they want to do a new sequel. They they do the, the new Easter Bunny, like his transformation. I'd be down. Yeah, and I'd what's, love the, to watch what's that. the what's the Sandman? It's just that like someone gets tired all the time. It just yeah. I mean the Sandman I mean literally you just take Neil Gaiman's DC comic <laughs> of the Sandman. There you go. That's the that's the way it works. Oh, that's a problem. You couldn't call it the Sandman, could you? Mm. Uh well you'd have to like turn them all into like um you know how Sackles is the pun because it's like a legal term. You'd have to like uh. find a way to turn Sandman or Jack Frost or Easter Bunny into a legal term. So like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know enough legal to follow on this joke. <laughs> uh the the easter litigation <laughs> the sandman uh subpoena there you go there you go perfect <laughs> all of a sudden some guy walks out to his mailbox sees he's got a letter from sleep court <laughs> and he has to show up and give testimony oh uh, yeah so yeah Santa shows lucy his snow globe collection and it's like it's like this like a hall of fame for all the santas where each snow globe mm-hmm. represents a past santa and which again i mean there's at least like three dozen floating around mm-hmm. so that gives an idea as to how long this role how long a person a can hold this role and b how long it's been going on at all yeah, and like the current Santa's got his enough. Like they're all kind of floating, but the current Santa's on like a podium in the middle, right? That's like the the, the current yeah. one. Uh, but of course, Jack Frost is snuck in after them. He gets it. At this point, he's railed up everything, caused a fight with the family uh, by making mm. the tree fall over, and everyone, you know, freaks out about the it. The tree topper fell over and broke. Oh, it's no. not like we've seen Santa repairing literally anything with magic powers. <laughs> Well, the in-laws don't know that, I suppose. He could literally just go out of the room, come uh, true, back in, true, and true. say, hey, uh, no. here's the here's the follow-up one, honey. But yes, he makes Scott almost an hour and finally say the, the phrase, I wish I was never Santa at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really has to sort of force him into it, though, because he says it kind of half, right? And yeah. he's like, no, but you mean at all, right? At all? <laughs> <laughs> uh and then we go back in time to the night santa fell off the roof and they definitely mm-hmm. shot some new shots of this and the reason why i noticed it, i never brought this up in the first review and i'm glad mm-hmm. i've got a chance to bring it up now is okay. that when santa falls off the roof in the first movie you can tell that some of the snow on the roof is actually a fabric because you can see it crinkle as uh, he's falling uh yeah. so there's definitely some new shots here they use some old shots too but there's definitely a couple of new shots for the angles yeah. 
Um, I mean, during... I, I, I just... I don't want to get too into it because it literally is the most pointless thing to talk about ever. Mm -hmm. I don't get how this time thing works because <laughs> not to jump ahead too Are much. Are you saying the time travel and Santa Claus three is not up to snuff with uh, I'm with I'm Kramer? saying that no no no, <laughs> of course not. But it's not even up to snuff with its own internal logic. <laughs> That's what they should, have the this. Very... they should have called it Santa Claus 3 Primer. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. I would be so into this. Um, but no, the the first time they go around, you know, Santa's up stomping on the roof. And instead of Tim Allen, Scott, coming out of the house saying, hey, you, and Santa falling, at the exact same moment that would have happened, Jack Frost says it instead. Says, hey, you, and then he gets on the coat. Yeah, Scott should still come out of the house at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, if they say, like, no, 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 in this new timeline or whatever, Scott, you know, Charlie isn't woken up, and therefore he doesn't wake up Scott, so therefore whatever. Fine, I can accept that. Except that the second time they go around, Santa manages to stall Jack long enough that the original Scott does come out and fulfills the original timeline loop. In which case, what? I know it's nitpicky and I don't want to focus on it, but like it really annoyed me at that point. Yeah, if it wasn't some family kids movie, I'd be like tearing this scene apart for this uh -huh. because it's just playing fast and loose with any of its rules. But yeah. it doesn't care about the rules. We can tell this. I mean, if I really wanted to get nitpicky, uh, this escape clause has always existed. Why didn't Bernard tell him about it in the first movie? Yeah, because he didn't want to be Santa that first year. Yeah. Why, not, why not just say He's it? like, oh, okay, here's your snow globe. We literally have already handed this to you. Uh, just hold it and say, I wish I wasn't Santa Claus at all. And the last, at that point, 12 hours would be undone. <laughs> yeah, imagine it comes in 12 hours ago. <laughs> 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 oh, jeez. Yeah, so obviously Jack Frost puts on the coat, which makes him Santa, mm. and then time just like goes whoosh and... Scott is once again, and this is kind of funny because like the last movie had him like turn into like regular Tim Allen again as part mm -hmm. of the the plot because his power was going away, and I think it's funny that all three movies in some capacity have found a way to make him regular Tim Allen oh, again yeah. for at least a, at least a part of the movie. Absolutely. So he's he's in a business suit again. He's working Christmas Eve, and immediately he's like, "Wait, why are we working Christmas Eve? Like this is this is like a Scrooge thing. I'm monstrous. No, 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 no. Go home. <laughs> Be with your family, my employee. Go." I'm going to go and like, uh, find my family. Okay. Uh, and it turns out that, uh, like, the marriage between Judge Reinhold and his ex-wife fell apart because he wasn't Santa Claus. I uh, feel so bad. Her name her name is Laura. Yes. Laura Miller in movie. But I don't think we've actually said her name once across these three videos. <laughs> She's always just been Judge Reinhold's wife. Or the ex-wife, yeah. yeah. Honestly, like, Laura doesn't even sound familiar. I don't even remember them saying it. That's fair. Yeah. Because I, I feel like it's because Charlie always says mom, and I think Tim Allen in the first movie always says your mom. Like, he always sort of says yeah. that because he's talking to his son. So, talking to Charlie. Yeah. He talks to her yeah. in the third person. Yeah, so she's working at a diner. She's a single mom now. Life's kind of miserable. Charlie's a kid, like, I don't know if he's necessarily a delinquent, but he doesn't care about Christmas. He's going out with his friends on Christmas Eve and just doesn't give a crap. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it sets up that stuff. Uh, I was actually thinking Lucy wouldn't exist at first because, like, maybe the marriage didn't last long yeah. enough for for that to mm -hmm. happen. But clearly, she does. Uh, 
And this is where he finds out that Jack Frost has really commercialized Christmas. He's turned the North Pole into an, like a, an amusement park and people can visit there probably all year, but certainly at Christmas. And they can yeah. pay to be on the nice list and a, a number of other things. Uh, which So just a really quick, when Scott <laughs> arrives at the North Pole, they just have a moment which I can only describe as the moment in this movie where somebody just finished watching Saving Private Ryan and he just looks around the North Pole and everything is like kind of slow-mo, kind of like choppy frame-wise and the sad music's playing and we see like, there's like a shave a reindeer station or something. <laughs> One of the reindeers is like crying out in pain as everything's in slow motion. I'm like, why is this a war scene? Why did you just introduce a war scene into this children's it, movie? It also focuses on all the money changing hands. Like, a, a oh, lot. Yeah. It's, it's all about cash. It's all about, you know, money and making money. Honestly, before you even get to that, I want to talk about the uh, the Santa Claus airline that he's flying on to get to the oh, North yeah? Pole. With the big Santa I on, what it was on the called. plane. Yeah, what was it? It was, so, yeah, it was just something like Santa Planes or something like that. Or, was, was it? it? Okay. Maybe it was North, North Pole Airline. I can't remember, but... Uh, mm-hmm. There was a big Santa painted on it, and it, like, the arms were going out in the wings as if Santa was flying. <laughs> like, oh, <okay. laughs> um, I know you wanted to talk about the SOS thing and how Jack Frost has effectively broken that. Yeah, I mean, well, that, to be fair, to be fair, actually, okay. so yeah. the SOS mm-hmm. they did establish this was a new thing, right? I mean, did they say that in the movie? They didn't say it was a new thing, as okay. in like they new. never had to worry about it. Okay. Because I was going to say, maybe since Scott wasn't Santa, they never in, like brought in this policy. <laughs> no, no, it's nah. definitely always been. Because, I mean, <laughs> anything that's been going for thousands of years, they got the rules locked down. Quite literally, we have shown, we have shown their legal system. Mm-hmm. We know that these contracts exist. But no, the, the Secret of Santa thing, basically it's just this secondary point where the two plots overlap in the most meaningless of ways because you have the entire reason that they don't have the in-laws just be told that it's santa claus as curtis puts it is because if the secret of santa gets out then i guess the faith of the children will be lost and therefore the world will be significantly worse or something like that and that's enough justification for them not to tell the in-laws so then once jack frost gets it Apparently, almost immediately, he was sick of trying to keep everything secret. He wanted recognition for being Santa. And so he just told everyone the secret. He made it a worldwide thing. And as such, we see that the world is a lot darker of a place. Whether that's because the secret's out or because it became commercialized is up for debate. But it's a darker place. Skipping ahead ever so slightly here to when it is undone... Scott shows up and out of his entire thing, out of everything he saw, everything that happened with the alternate timeline and Jack becoming Santa, the one thing that he comes back to when he sees his in-laws and his wife again is, no, we need to share the secret with family. And I, I don't get it. I don't understand how you get any of that from what we just saw. How does he see all of that happening when the secret is out and these two people, which the wife has described as being unable to keep a secret, we need to tell them 
that Santa is real. I think, yeah, there's a problem if you track track it that way. I think the two things independently, I think, are fine. The idea that by the end, he's like, no, what? They're family. We should trust them. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what, we should trust them and they should have to just, you know, they should get the weight of the secret, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm-hmm. I also think it's completely fine if Jack Frost did break the secret of Santa and that's why everything's so cynical and, you know, monetary yeah. and capitalist and it's just a theme park basically now and it's all just, you know, he's, he's corrupted the whole thing. Right, that's mm-hmm. also fine, um, but yeah, there's there's nothing in the story or in the alternate timeline that Scott sees that you would think, oh, that that would convince him that he, that for you know, or motivate this choice that he makes when he comes back to the regular timeline, right? To just tell them, and also, I mean, if you really want to get nitpicky about it, this is just the Lucy plot from the last movie. They don't tell Lucy; she keeps on asking about it until finally they're like. <laughs> No, you can find out. Well, yeah, but that and was, she's like, that, that was sweeter, okay, well, though, because she's a kid. I mean, I guess, but like, if you're just going to reuse the same plot here, then what's even the point of doing it in a far, far more annoying way? At oh, that? no, 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 I, I'm just, I'm sticking up for the second movie a little bit and saying at least oh, that yeah, was no. sweet, because she's like an innocent kid and she obviously cares about Santa, so there's like a, a sweetness yeah. to it. Here, you know, this is more just, uh, it's, 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 I don't even know what the equivalent would be, like, like your spouse is like in the CIA and like everything they do is top secret and they're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah. So like, <laughs> honestly, I feel like it was just they got to the end of the movie and they're like, "So what's the moral here?" And then the writers' room just had a long silence when they realized, <laughs> "Oh wait, we didn't have a moral." Quite literally, we we squandered the "It's a Wonderful Life" possibility because he didn't willingly go into that escape clause. We had literally every character who should be stressed out saying, no, nah, it's fine. We'll get past it. There is nothing at the end here to be the moral. Yeah, actually, one of the things that bugged me, uh, again, when he comes back to the regular timeline, is he, he, he sees his in-laws and he sees his wife. And he goes mm-hmm. up and says, oh, I missed you. And she's like, it's been like 10 minutes. What are you talking about? Yeah. Her her attitude, and, uh, and that, that 10 minutes line is fine, because that, on her perspective, that's true. The problem yeah. I have with this is her attitude towards him when he comes up is that she was mad at him and actually said the line, you know, when they had the fight at the Christmas tree and Tim mm-hmm. Allen says, oh, maybe I shouldn't have brought the in-laws here. She then said, she interjected and said, oh, maybe you shouldn't have brought me here either. And it's kind of like, oh, that's a big thing to say. That's like, oh, maybe we yeah. shouldn't have got married kind of thing. And mm-hmm. then this line here, she's, you know, when he returns here, she just instantly is like, wait, it's okay. And she smiles at him. She's happy to see him. Like, like they never had a fight. And, I guess that's meant to spin into what Tim Allen says next about how, oh, we're families, we fight at Christmas and holidays, that's normal. Which is true, yeah. that's fine. But that was a pretty, that was like a nuclear thing to say, is maybe As I shouldn't have came here either. She's pregnant. Yeah. Emotional. <laughs> but she's just over it, like, instantly. Like, that, that's like, because yeah. nothing's changed for her. She didn't go through this alternate timeline. No, absolutely. <laughs> so, that's, I mean, the only thing that we can assume here is that much like Back to the Future 2, there are some small changes that we don't even know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. Maybe by them rolling around in the snow as he was holding Jack Frost down, that, ch- you know, mm-hmm. some particles were in different places and there was a butterfly yep. effect that led to her being slightly less annoyed. <laughs> and all of a sudden, that tree falling over didn't end up actually happening. Oh, uh, Yep. Uh, yeah, but all the stuff in the North Pole and the, the you know, it's like even he sees Jack Frost. Curtis tries to sell him a souvenir. It's a pen that can record audio, which mm-hmm. is important for the plot. Uh, as soon as they show that pen, 
I think, okay, this is a little trinket. But then as soon as they show Scott, like, holding the pen, I'm like, <laughs> all right, that's the MacGuffin. Yeah. Because uh, he basically talks to Jack Frost, and Jack Frost, like, gloats. He's like, oh, has it been 12? Because obviously for Jack Frost, he also... I, either he's teleported to the present day into this new timeline, or maybe he lived the 12 years. It doesn't really matter. But regardless, it's like, oh, it's been 12 years already. Oh, you're finally showing up with these memories. Oh, I was waiting for this. Uh, but he recounts the story. So he says the sentence, you know, I made you say, and then he says the exact phrase. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I wonder if Tim Allen recorded him saying that. And like, all he has to do now See- is have him holding the thing. You say, I wonder if he did that. Like, I was keeping an eye out for it. He literally was like, he moved the pen forward as he was saying it on the screen. It wasn't even like an off-screen thing. It was like, no, it's right there. See? Yeah, uh, but he ha- uh, Jack Frost has like elf security, like keep an eye on him. So hmm. he convinces Lucy, even though Lucy, like he's run into her and Judge Reinhold, and Judge doesn't hmm. really like him, blames him for his divorce. Lucy, like, doesn't hate him, but doesn't really know him. Just kind of like, oh, you're just like, yeah, just a dude. I just, I want to really because of how Flanderized neil got judge reinhold's character got it was so strange to see him completely walk all of that back and he's like no actually it uh turns out that your son just wanted a father and uh because you weren't willing to step up he didn't want me either and i was like wow all right (laughs) pull out the pull out the oscar on that one neil oh there's the same thing with the ex-wife scene is that see when she like basically says you know you know go away to tim allen shuts the door it did mm-hmm. it did genuinely feel like she was playing a role in like a, like a depressing drama where her life is absolute yeah. shit and it was like you know what for a split second you almost just shattered the entire tone of this movie with like these but actors actually doing did. this that's what i'm saying <laughs> i wanted them to i wanted them to just go that full no this timeline sucks and we no, need to explore it it's gotta be light and fluffy it's gotta be light and fluffy <sighs> and we have to get through it as quickly as possible so he convinces Lucy to go and steal the the, the, uh, the snow globe. Mm-hmm. She does. Uh, she makes he makes he convinces Jack Frost to catch it. He says, "Hey, Lucy, throw it over here or whatever." And Jack mm-hmm. Frost catches it. He plays the recording. And he's like, "Wait, wait, 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 no, 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 no!" And then they fade away. They go back to the the night he became Santa Claus again, and he holds him down so that young Tim Allen, well, younger Tim <laughs> Allen, can can become Santa Claus. <laughs> so. I get that somehow this entire concept of Santa Claus relies on legal jargon mm-hmm. in this universe. I get it. That's fine. But I feel like there has to be some level of legal, especially with how mall mapped out that is, that says that a recording of Santa does not constitute the voice of Santa. I mean, that's fair, but I think also actual contract, if you're tricked into signing it, it's null and void. So tricking Santa into saying the phrase to trigger the clause also yeah. would be problematic. But then you can imply that Tim Allen was tricked by the very first one because the fine print was literally like one well, millimeter tall. That's getting into the the just the plot hole of the entire franchise, which true, is true. Th- it was always a trick. He was never going to read that tiny text and realize that this is what's happening. Yeah. So, well, so oh, but actually, God. you just kind of answered your own question then. This entire thing started what's effectively a sly legal trick. So technically, the trickery is in you know is is in is part of the the the, yeah. the DNA of the whole franchise. So therefore, using a recording and tricking the whole thing plays to the the franchise. That's been a part of it the whole time. 
Santa Claus literally just began <laughs> because there was a bored lawyer who was like, I wonder if I could do this. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give a slight uh, uh, compliment to something here. Uh, okay. When he first goes to the bad timeline, he sort of appears in front of a mirror in his business suit. It's basically the same shot in the first movie when he tries to shave his beard and the beard pops back in. It's a mm. very intentional look. This is like, you know, the moment he realized, oh shit, I'm turning into Santa Claus and I can't do anything about it. They mm. recreate that shot of him in the business suit to sort of call back to it. It's like, no, now he's he's a normal businessman again. So, yeah, you know what? It's a small little directorial touch that I actually think is quite smart. But, you know, it's not going to save the, the movie, which is obviously... Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they yeah, give no, the small th- props where they're due. That's what I, I feel like they had this big idea for the alternate timeline. They had this this whole thing mapped out, like, just by Judge Reinhold's speech of, like, here's how it ended up being that this seemingly happy marriage, as we saw in the first Santa Claus movie, mm. ended up spiraling into divorce because of your actions. It's like... They had the whole timeline mapped out, and then someone at some point came in and said, "Like, all right, so we're gonna need you guys to wrap that up in about twenty minutes." I think part of the reason why they probably shied away from it and didn't do this is the entire like main chunk of the movie is mm-hmm. you know because we we're saying oh like he had to go and see his wife you know Carol he had to go see what, what her life was yeah. like without him and see how miserable she is and see you know maybe some other characters as well. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with that is though is that kind of what we were saying where the tone of the scene with the ex-wife almost felt like a little too dark for the movie is that if you're trying to make this a light family comedy film like maybe they just couldn't figure out how to do it and keep it fun like maybe it was just maybe they just couldn't figure out how how do we visit have him visiting all these worst versions of these characters to make him convinced that he has to like it's a good plot for a movie where you want to root for the character to fix everything but does it work Mm -hmm. as a family comedy where you're you know the kids are laughing every you know minute or so that's fair and i guess i guess that is what it comes down to is that me as a viewer i want to see the best possible version of the story yes whereas the producers want to see the most marketable version they want to see kids laughing every 60 seconds or less yeah exactly so i think the version of the movie that we are sort of building based on what they've given us here is an infinitely better movie but it's probably one that's not necessarily not kid friendly, but I, I think you know. I don't think five year olds would like it. I think teenagers would maybe get into it because it would be yeah a bit more aged up. But see, yeah. that's something that I've always wondered about these sort of franchise films: is which ones age up with their audiences, which ones last you know, long enough that they can sit there and be like, no, the people who saw the original Santa Claus and were the target audience back then, they would be charlie's age now that, and therefore they would get a bit more mature yeah that's an excellent question because i think it's a choice that they have to make when they're doing these sequels because i, I look at something like power rangers uh mm-hmm. and i think of that 2017 movie which is obviously still like a, a mainstream movie that you can take a kid to but it mm-hmm. definitely isn't the kiddie movie or the kiddie tone that the tv show had like it right. was definitely designed with the idea in mind that a lot of 30 year olds that grew up with power <laughs> rangers are probably going to see some appeal in this out of nostalgia, so it has mm-hmm. to work for them too. And they kind of clearly, you know, tailored it for that. Right. Um, and I think there's a balance to strike where you also want to get like a new generation into it as well. So you want it to work for both audiences. I mm-hmm. feel like with this, they just went, no, we want the we want the, this generation's children to like it. And yeah. yes, there'll be like continue con- continuity for people who have grown up with it. 
But all in the continuity of like having characters come back, it doesn't really work for a mature audience at all. No, not at all. I would uh, say even less so than the last film. Last film at least mm-hmm. dealt, dealt with some like heavier things of relationships and romance and stuff like that. Things that kids probably wouldn't have any interest in. This one was just hijinks the whole way through. And the funny thing is, is that I, the darker version of this we're talking about, and when I say darker, I don't mean like a super dark, I just mean darker than a kid's movie, like what, yeah. what we got. The darker version we are describing, I think actually could be easily far more mature than the last movie. It could actually say mm-hmm. a lot about uh, regrets, it could say a lot about the spirit of Christmas in that, mm-hmm. oh, if you take away and just make it a commercial thing, uh, you know, what that does to it, and like, you know, this idea that this, and it, you could almost even make it feel more like a trilogy where, okay, Jack Frost just wants to be this businessman, but Tim Allen started the franchise as a business toy man, you know, a toy, yeah. you know, a toy creator who was a businessman. And mm-hmm. you could somehow, like, almost, like, see some of, like, the past of himself in Jack Frost and, like, have a, a full circle thing that feels like a trilogy wrap-up. Instead, it just, you know, like, the movie ends. It's, like, the end, and it doesn't really feel like the culmination of anything. It just feels like this was our next chapter and meeting the in-laws mm-hmm. and now they've got a kid. Yeah, no, I think that, there is a story, and even if they focused on the in-law specifically, I think we said last time that for the last movie, the toy Santa thing felt more tacked on, where mm. it felt like they wanted to focus on the romance more. This one has the same sort of thing of, it feels like the Jack Frost alternate timeline bit is simultaneously what's tacked on, and yet also the focus at the same time. It felt like the main script that they went with was the in-laws one, but they had a whole nother script about Jack Frost that they just took the best elements from and brought over into this one. Didn't really fold in well, but... I I wonder alternatively as well if... Uh, because we keep saying how they, they put all this alternate timeline stuff too late in the movie. It had to be more fleshed out. I wonder mm-hmm. if part of it as well is that... And this is okay. There's nothing wrong with this. But Jack Frost is a villain. If you do that early on in the movie he effectively disappears other than maybe, maybe you'd see him in a TV screen promoting like the North Pole or something in the alternate timeline, but he would effectively disappear from the movie for a long stretch until you see him again at the North Pole. And that would be okay. But I do mm. wonder if the makers of the movie and the studio are like, no, we want Martin Short hamming it up as much as possible. We want more yeah. of him just being around and doing stuff. You know, Honestly, yeah, I could see that. I think that you get a big enough name like that. Yeah, they would want to get their money's worth, so... But all, I mean, again, that just comes back down to the marketing side of things. They yeah. have a specific goal in mind when making this movie, and it's not tell the best story. And uh, just to play devil's advocate with what I just said, alternatively, mm-hmm. you can just give him more screen time in an alternate timeline by cutting to him occasionally and showing him, you know, maybe, you know, I said that you see him on TV in a commercial for North Pole. Why, why not show him making the commercial, have like him being like an awful leader to the elves and mm-hmm. being shitty to people and sh- give us more of a reason to have wanted to have Scott dethrone him and like fix all this because he's, you could, he's like you could show the 12 year in between oh just sure. cut back to that everyone's like, show what happens when he hits the year where he has to find a mrs claus show how he handles that yeah where's messy where's messy's jack frost and uh, you know if there isn't one how did he get around it yeah <laughs> you know these uh, would all be much more interesting stories disney you <laughs> literally have a disney plus show right now that i doubt has to do with this uh the only th- one thing I mentioned early on I want to bring back up is just uh, mm. the bad visual effect. Because the, the visual yeah. effects aren't great. You know, whenever Jack like blows his like frost cloud or whatever, it just looks whatever. Yeah. But it's fine in like a sense. The one that really bugged me is that when Lucy catches Jack Frost up to no good, he ends up freezing her parents. 
And, oh yeah, and that's fine. Like you know, that's whatever. It's not good, but it's like comically and fine. Uh-huh. The fact that I hated was when they thaw out. When they thaw out at the end of the movie, like the way it shows kind of their face moving underneath this like prosthetic that they've got, and then that that's mm-hmm. this, it just all of it looked really clunky and weird, and just didn't mesh together very well. It just looked really cheap. Which actually, we should talk about how that happens. So sure, yeah. So after everything's fixed oh shit, those two are still frozen and Lucy's like, hey, mm-hmm. he froze my parents. And it's like, well, how do we do this? Can we, Jack Frost, like, you know, undo this? He's like, well, no, that'll only undo. They'll only thaw out if I thaw out and that's never going to happen. Which, Which I, you know. Yes. <laughs> that, that That's a whole, like, uh, Pandora's box of like, wait, how do you work exactly? Like, what's your history? But that's, we'll come back to that. That's a totally different thing that was literally never brought up <laughs> at any point. And no. it's just like, oh no, here's some deep lore, guys. Deep lore? Okay. But basically, there's been a running thing throughout the movie where Tim Allen keeps saying to Lucy, oh, your your hug can warm a heart, right? And mm-hmm. even the snow globe that he makes for her, that he gives her, is her hugging a snowman that turns pink. Because, although, in reality, it would melt and you'd kill the snowman, Lucy. Just he's lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a magic snowman yeah but basically it's like hey you can fix this all you have to do is hug jack frost lovingly and it'll fix everything and sure enough there's a slow like bell to her walking up to him and everyone's watching and he's like what's this what's going on here and she hugs him and he starts to like all the ice parts of him start to crack and fall away and he ends up just standing there in a white suit it's just martin short although he has elf ears which i wasn't expecting I mean, I think he had that as Jack Frost, and he just... Be- I thought it was, yeah. I, yeah, but I just thought it was because he was cold and they were pointy because he had, like, icicles and stuff. <laughs> like, eh. oh, whatever. Uh, and, of course, that defrosts the, the, the parents, and mm. everyone's happy. And, and they, they all sing some, a song together. For some, because the entire movie, we keep on getting this subplot of, you know, because of Jack Frost's antics, uh, stuff's getting backed up. And at one point... Scott says that an entire continent might not get toys this year. So the entire legendary council shows up to help because Charlie says, <laughs> hey, we should go help my dad. Yes. he uh, His exact line is, I checked in with Curtis and found out you were behind. So I got the council together. Sure. Does yeah. He, does he have their phone numbers like on him? He just, he just <laughs> shakes the snow globe. Mad time continuum. <laughs> Okay, so this le- like I was pissed off that it took so long to get to the escape clause. That mm-hmm. annoyed me already. Coming back and finding out that the moral of the story is like, uh, don't keep secrets from family, despite the fact that literally the first movie is keep secrets from family. But then we get into this whole thing. As soon as they wheel out the the frozen parents. We get something that, as far as I'm aware, was never mentioned before of he, they can only thaw out if Jack Frost thaws out. And he specifically mentions that he was told that he would never be able to be thawed by any sort of magic. They said that it was impossible. Well, he also, I think the way he phrased it, he said that he would never do that, implying that he likes having this power and he would never want to go back to being right. like the good neutral version of himself again. And he says that, but then when Lucy is actively thawing him out, he says like, but they told me it was impossible. Okay, yeah, yeah he said that too, yeah. Who? First off, who's they? Second yeah. off, 
Who's that I feel like I feel like in these last ten minutes of the movie, we've got some real deep lore cuts of like, no, there's this larger council of frost that's going to attack, and it's like, what? I mean, does he come from? Is it? Is it like? Does he hang out with Loki? Is it like the frost giants that this to him? Like, what? I'd imagine there are heralds for the different seasons as well. Why is Jack Frost the only one who gets this bump? Who knows? Who cares? Yeah, Find the, out next time. Where's the spring Simon and the summer shot? The spring Simon. <laughs> And uh, Winter Wendy. Like, where are these characters? Oh, he's Winter. Well, Jack. Yeah. Uh, Autumn. 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 Uh, Augustine. <laughs> I would have went for something that doesn't even alliterate. Just like Autumn Bill. <laughs> no, you'd have to do something. Because Jack Frost obviously sounds like cold. So you'd have to do something something to do with leaves falling or something. So, uh, yeah. you know, so someone named Tree. <laughs> Brown Tree. There you go. Perfect. Um, but yeah, no, like this, nothing I feel like in this last little plot thing, because you said that it was also a subplot that he was telling Lucy that her hugs are magic. I remember him saying it when they gave her the snow globe. Did they say it at any other point? Uh, when he first goes to see them, when they ask to come to the North Pole, he says it when she hugs him. Uh, and okay. then he says it, he references it again when he sees her in the alternate timeline with her dad. He sort of... Okay. He, he, right. he kneels down and says something referencing it so it is brought up i think three yeah. times before the ending where he says hey go and use your magic three's the three's the minimum technically two but yeah I, i'm if they said it more than so be yeah. it, i just missed that but it did because i didn't notice that it just jumped out of me where i was like this they they held on the snow globe thing long enough that like i was no, forced to notice it it definitely did because when he sort of kneeled down, I went, "Oh, I get where this is going." Like, like mm. I knew because they'd set it up well enough. So, yeah, it was definitely there. Even yeah. though it's like, why does she have this? Like, why is this magic literal? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, yeah. Uh, it's it's because Santa mm. uh, spent enough time with the ex-wife that. Her eggs became magic. <laughs> anyway, you, uh, uh, <laughs> okay. Yep, that's what uh, I'm going. How with. does that that's make it. Judge Reinhold feel that his the the eggs that he fertilized with his semen also have a little bit of the ex husband in them? <laughs> we can talk about it in a feelings inventory. A feelings inventory. Yes. Did you like uh, the in laws saying that they are? Uh, father Christmas-in-law and mother Christmas-in-law. I liked it when father Christmas-in-law because I felt like it was like, oh, I had okay, yeah, we get it. But then when the mother-in-law had to double down on the joke and repeat the exact same line just for mother, I'm like, yeah, that was the line you just said. <laughs> I heard it then, too. I, I, can, I can give a little leeway for the fact that they're in shock that all of this sure. stuff is true. But from a writing standpoint, it's like, no, we didn't need to hear that twice, guys. One of the complaints, I, or many of the complaints I had about the second movie mm. is that it set up a lot of like threads and plot lines that it didn't really do anything with. This yeah. wasn't as big as that, but there was a line earlier on where they say that the father-in-law isn't that into Christmas and the wife kind of, hey, just because you don't like Christmas that much doesn't mean other people can't enjoy it. I thought they were going to do more of something with that where he, you know, learns to love Christmas, but he just, he just loves Christmas at the end. There's no... Yeah turn there's no thing that makes them realize that because again halfway through the writers realized oh wait we did this plot this was the entire second movie 
I think I think what's really getting me is the fact that the in-laws plot is just recycled plots from the first two movies. There's mm. nothing new being done there unless you want to get into the thing of, okay, they're hiding the North Pole. They're making it look like Canada. And that's such a weak thing for an entire third movie of, oh, can he keep up this charade? That's a sitcom plot. That lasts for yes. 22 minutes. You are not allowed to go longer than that by rules of media. So I don't... To just see that take up 50 minutes of this movie just seemed completely... I don't it's just a letdown I guess I really wanted this to be more focused on the Jack Frost aspect and when it wasn't it just became more and more of a letdown with every passing minute <laughs> uh yeah one of the things I just noticed here uh, with the IMDb list up is so the actress who plays Lucy uh, mm-hmm. who's still a working actress obviously she's an adult now uh yeah. but I noticed her name was L- Liliana Mumi okay. and I was like Mumi as in, as in, uh, Bill Mumy? Yeah, yes. Bill, Bill Mumy, isn't him? Uh, that's her dad. Yeah, so Bill Mumy oh. is the kid from the original Lost in Space, and he's a major character in Babylon 5. Uh, I just, I, don't, I was like, oh shit. Yeah. There you go. There's a, there's a weird connection for you. <laughs> so. It looks like all she does nowadays is mostly voice acting. So. Oh, really? Good on her. Yeah. Uh, I didn't look too, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I didn't look too hard. Um, yeah, I right, fair. If that's working for her, yeah. uh, knock, knock herself out. Uh, she's in other Christmas stuff in the two thousands. I guess she got a lot of Christmas work because of these two yeah. movies. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a lot of kids stuff. A lot of yeah, animated. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. So whatever. Um, but cool. I mean, I don't. <sighs> I don't really have much more to say about this movie. It's, I mean, it's, I, th- I think we're, we're, we're sufficiently yeah. uh, talked about everything that I would have liked to talk about. I just, if if I'm getting into just my final sort of thoughts on this, it really does come down to, I think that this movie was two different plots, two different scripts that they finally were just like, you know what? Just throw them together. We'll stitch them together somehow. And they did their best. But it did end up being extremely lopsided in the end. I don't necessarily think it was two scripts. I, I think I can see this as always being what the plan was. It's just that originally the the, the in-law stuff was meant to be some jokey stuff in Act 1 to like give them a reason to for to be distracted and get agitated enough to say this, the phrase. Mm. And it was supposed to be more what we would think, which is he spends a lot of time in the alternate timeline trying to fix it or realizing how bad it is and then ultimately trying to fix it. You know, whether or not he's tricked into it or not, even if he's tricked, in the context of the kids' movie, I can still see that working, but you still have to mm-hmm. spend more time, like, of him So, oh, maybe this isn't so bad, but then seeing how bad everything is and going to fix right. it. I think at some point, whether it was because they wanted more stuff for Martin Short to do, whether it was just because the studio or the people making the movie said, no, there has to be more hijinks, it has to be more of the fun North Pole stuff, and I think that the, the actual plot of the movie just kept getting condensed and condensed until it just became the quick third act plot as opposed mm-hmm. to the actual full movie plot. And that's a shame uh, because I can see a much better film in here. Which, you know, and not, not, not that I'm that invested or care that the third Santa Claus movie sucks that much because <laughs> like, I don't, like I'm never going to watch it again. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I, I guess uh, all that is to say it's time to rate 
The Santa Claus 3, the escape clause. Mm-hmm. Are you, what, what, what are you feeling? Oh, man, I wrestled with this one. Um, so the last, <laughs> the last one I gave a 5.5. Um, and if I'm using that as the reference point here, I, I genuinely think I can't give this one, I can't give this one any higher than a four. And honestly, that still feels a little bit generous, but that is where I'm going to come down on in that the only things that I found worthwhile here are, again, that third act only in concept, not, not even in execution, because if they would have just extended it out, if they would have made it anything like we've been talking about, I would have easily given this an extra point or two, but this is just a horribly, horribly lopsided movie that focused on all of the least interesting parts for far too long. So I'm just going to say flat four for me. Yeah, I, this is a tough one. I think I'm kind of not too far off. Like, I don't necessarily... I'm going to give it a four, although I won't say it's been too generous. I think four is completely fine because I think, generally speaking, it you know, it's, tr it's trying to be this nice, casual atmosphere of a movie. The actors are all there. They seem to be having a reasonable enough time, even if, you know, they, they might be phoning it in, technically, a lot of them, but they, hmm. they don't seem to be miserable whilst they're doing it. It's, it seems like a nice, light, uh, atmosphere of a movie so yeah but for all the reasons we've discussed yeah four out of ten because it, okay. it you know it, it diminishes everything and uh and then we have our, our agreed shared thing Ooh, uh which right. is does it make the cut or not well let me guess i don't know where <laughs> i don't know i don't know where you stand uh -huh. but for me personally i'm willing to put out there that i don't think this makes the cut and I think it's to the point where it's just cut your losses. I don't think this is really worth watching. I don't think that there's... Mm. It's, it's not a good Christmas film. That's my major complaint here, is that this doesn't have that fuzzy feeling that the other movies gave in terms of it makes it at least enjoyable to watch during the season. This is just... No, sometimes things suck, and you got to work through it. Like, that's just a general moral. It's not even enjoyable on a Christmas film level. So I'd say, nah, it's just cut your losses. I agree, cut your losses, and it's not worth watching. Although this is making me realize that there needs to be another tear down. We, 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 need, a new, oh. we need a new level, because I think this is, zero level? this is not worth watching, but I think there has to be one that's avoid at all costs. And I don't think this is avoid at all costs. This is just not worth watching. Okay. That, does that make sense? Yeah, as soon as we hit something that bad, we can put throw it in there. I don't know what you call it, <laughs> but uh, 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 cut cut out cut out the memory. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but like, I think there has to be another tier below this because there is like avoid it. Like, no, seriously, this is like painful to sit through. Oh yeah, I don't think absolutely. this is at that level. This is just not worth watching. It's just not good. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would I would agree. Cut your losses. Uh, so we'll, we'll think of a name for the the sixth <laughs> tier, which is the lowest one, which is like, you know, um, like I say, avoid at all costs would be the description. I don't know what the like because all the titles have like cut in the title, so I don't know what mm. we do. Um, ah, we'll workshop it. Yeah, uh, you know, cut out your eyes. Maybe what do we call that. <laughs> oh uh, God. <laughs> 
uh maybe that's a bit dark i don't know uh but yeah there you go um and just briefly here before before we get to like proper wrap-up territory yes mm-hmm. um i did watch the first episode of the santa clauses uh okay. for review on the tv channel mm-hmm. so i thought i'd just you know chime in with what the what the premise of that show is uh i don't remember too much about it even though it's only been a couple of weeks because <laughs> it, it wasn't you know it wasn't that good it wasn't terrible either it just wasn't like so not, none of the like wider cast are in it yet but this is just the first episode so i don't know who's going to show up after that but it's tim allen elizabeth mitchell and they've got kids who are like late teens or whatever and or mid to late teens you know what you know the, i was gonna say because it's a son in this movie so there's like a younger daughter who's you know whatever but okay yeah. yeah i think it fits time wise yeah um and they're kind of like bored living in the north pole and like it's sad that Saint Alice has to go away but the main plot of this the show from the first episode is that the magic's starting to fade because not enough kids believe in santa anymore oh, and no. uh like his powers like at one point he loses control of the sled uh the trip's getting easier every year because the list is getting shorter and shorter um but there's a really stupid thing in the first episode where he goes to the house with a girl from the first movie, you know, the one who he's mean to at first, but no. then, right? But then he comes back at the end of the movie and she's put out the, the soy milk, I think it was, because he said he was lactose uh-huh. intolerant. He goes to that house. He's like, oh, I love going to this house. It's my favorite one every year. And he goes in and it's a full grown woman who like, starts screaming, right? And part of this is in the trailer, actually, part of the scene. Okay. And she's like screaming at him like, what the hell are you doing? She picks up a baseball. It's like, I was like, it's me. He's like, what happened? oh, it's been 28 years already. Like, it, the implication is, is that the adults always forget because the, the magic of Santa or whatever, right? That's fine, yeah. right? Because they've said that okay. since the first movie. That they, they, when people grow up, they forget that Santa's real. That's mm-hmm. fine. But why are you surprised? If you've been coming here every year for the past 28 years, why you've been gradually seeing this woman grow up. Like, why, why are you shocked at this? She very briefly was married to a jewish man <laughs> and didn't get to see him well, for a few years well i think part of it is that she's loving back with her mother or parents because like she got divorced or something so she's like going through a rough time and that's why she's back in her childhood home hold on is she a main character no 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 like he, he leaves okay. but it's just it's just it's like the most memorable scene of the first episode okay uh, the, 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 the spoilers for what episode one because i'm just going to throw out how it ends but obviously it's only the first okay. episode uh, the episode ends with him slipping off a roof. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so, one would assume that there's going to be a transition to a new Santa. I don't think he's dead, but I would assume that we're going to have a new Santa. I, I mean, that's yeah. Just the plot synopsis on uh, Disney Plus gives that, but no, I would. Uh, I wasn't expecting him to do the whole fall off the roof thing. Yeah, actually, that's the horrifying thing is that when he goes into the the girl's house. And then she eventually calms down and gets really, like, casual with them. And, like, even though, like, because he gives her, like, a present that she wanted as a kid. Mm. That it makes her go, oh, my God, you really are Santa. I'm like, why does that keep convincing people? I don't know. But uh, basically his magic's not working, so he can't, he won't float back up the, the, the new chimney that's appeared. So he just kind of has to awkwardly, like, walk over to where the door is. And she goes, oh, the keys are, you have to do this to unlock it. Like, she sort of gives him instructions okay. to unlock the door. Uh 
So, but what what surprised me is I didn't think there'd be so many like allegories for erectile dysfunction because that's what it that's what it feels like it's doing. Is <laughs> like his magic's not working and he's too embarrassed to tell anyone, including the doctor. Fair enough. So there you go. And oh, that's the other odd thing about it is there's a couple of weird little like uh. So he's got like a meeting with like a bunch of elves where he's like talking about the naughty and nice list and like the the really kind of like you know the the one who's really eager right the elf is really eager to like get things done okay. is uh-huh. like oh we don't have a naughty and nice list anymore it's uh we have the nice and then we have the like uh the misunderstood list and they still get presents and santa says something to the effect of like uh oh he like like this is too you know it kind of felt like oh everyone like you can't no one could be bad anymore everyone has to be is, is santa going on twitter and complaining <laughs> about pc culture basically that's what it came off with. and there was another line when he's talking cool. to the doctor as well where he complains where you used to be able to say merry christmas and everyone would like it <laughs> there's an implication that he's not happy that some people don't like hearing christmas phrases anymore you know what i'm now that you're telling me this i'm kind of glad that this third movie just kind of soured the series for me i'm kind of i'm kind of happy this is where it fell off it was only those two moments but there was like wait is there a little bit of tim allen's politics sort of creeping in i mean i also get that you know it's the series that is quite literally what we're going to be yeah fixing and changing over the course of it but whew, yeah no you don't you don't do Look, that. Don't get me wrong. Maybe the arc of the show is that by the end he does like agree with these new policies, and that's part of the the journey. But right. it just stuck out to me so much that they were even like touching on like those ideas. Yeah, that's I would not never have guessed that would be an episode one thing. No, uh, but the the main thing is the magic erectile dysfunction stuff. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Yes. Yeah. So, and the first episode's a whole year because it, it starts off with a Christmas and ends with a Christmas. So. Episode one's already been through a whole year. All right. <laughs> so yes, uh, that, that's that's the brief uh, uh, discussion of it. That is the extent that we will be covering it. Yes. Uh, I, I didn't want to watch any more episodes. Honestly, I didn't even see that much more in my review. It was it wasn't a lot. It was like a thirteen minute review, which is one of the shortest <laughs> reviews I've ever done for a TV episode because there's not a lot to say. You know, it was, yeah. you know. So, but hey. Uh, there you go. Uh, so, yeah, what are we doing next time? Because this is the end of a, a franchise. This is the end of a, 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 oh a season, if you will. So next season on the Collector's Cut, we'll be looking at uh, the the one that won the vote, which is mm. um, uh, 70s disaster movies beat out Tarantino. It beat out uh, Jim Carrey movies. Uh, our patrons yeah. said we want 70s disaster movies. So that's what we're going to be doing. And I can even tell you what movies we're doing because I put up a second little poll on the Patreon uh because there's basically there's enough for two seasons and i said okay which season do you want this time and then you know sometime down the line we'll choose to do the second batch uh and then maybe do like a i don't know like a top 10 or something at the end or you know whatever Uh, and i i definitely read this list when you sent it to me i'm not learning about this for the first time uh, it's fun if you're reacting there's nothing wrong with that (laughs) so yeah the winning side of the list uh was the poseidon adventure the china syndrome (laughs) The Cassandra Crossing, City on Fire, and The Big Bus. And the bonus Patreon episode will be Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. So that is the okay. uh, next batch. Not necessarily in that order. We'll, we'll, between us, decide what the order is, obviously. But yeah. um, the idea was, just for the record, to not put all the biggest ones in the one 
batch so that there's like mm-hmm. big ones in both like seasons so yep. that's the season we're doing uh with poseidon adventure being kind of the, the biggest headliner of the, the pack but uh yeah so that's uh what's coming next over january or so uh mm-hmm. so uh, look forward to that uh so before we officially move on though oh yes since we're finishing up the franchise just real quick how do you feel about santa claus as a whole trilogy plus a show <laughs> um that's a good question uh we went into the first movie with me feeling like this is something i saw oddly like a good number of times when i was the right age for it as a kid mm-hmm. but i still didn't really feel that much nostalgia for it and i think part of that may be just the the tim allen style of humor just like even in like hindsight i just knew that it wasn't going to like work for me anymore so i just never mm-hmm. felt like you know it's not like I mean, I never, like, left Home Alone and went back to it. I always kind of knew I liked that, so I always kind of revisited it growing up anyway. But there's definitely some other movies where I watched them as a kid. I sort of, like, didn't see them from maybe my early teens to, like, my mid-twenties. And then went back mm-hmm. and watched them and went, oh, my God, I'm feeling this this rush of love because I've not seen this as a kid. But I did love it as a kid, and I, it's appealing to me again now, and I'm feeling all these warm, fuzzy feelings. You know, I didn't get that with Santa Claus. It was kind of like, okay, I remember these bits and pieces, but, like, I'm not, like... And the sequels, you know, like, they're inoffensive by and large. Obviously, three's worse than two. Yeah. But, yeah, like, honestly, I I don't feel, like, bad or that I missed anything, you know, when they came out. Especially since, you know, the second one came out when I was 13. The third one came out when I was 17. Like, there's no way I was going to be into, like, seeing them at the time. So... That's fair. Uh, for me personally, I think that the first two films, more so the first, obviously, but the first two films do still have a lot of heart to them. I think that they make decent Christmas films, mm-hmm. whether I think they're good films in their own right. Eh, not particularly, but you could say that about pretty much any holiday film. There are very few that are great films in their own right. You kind of got to view them through the lens of, like you said, the nostalgia, the things you come back to a year later, five years later, 10 years later, and see how they hit you then. Um, I would say I, I don't feel like any of these movies really did hit me in that same sort of way, same as yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, but I do just recognize it as, you know, the warm, fuzzy feeling that the first two movies give of, no, there's like that whole, basically the entirety of the first movie and then the gift-giving scene in the second movie. Uh, those those are the mo- moments that I think really make the films worth it. Third one's a trash fire. I don't like it. Uh, so that's <laughs> I don't. That's my thought. I gave on. it the same rating, but I don't feel as passionate in my hatred of it. And I guess it's just that's because fair. I just I just I can't muster a feeling for it. Like I'll, you know, um, obviously there's other Christmas franchises that we'll definitely get to in other December's. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a weird one is going to be Die Hard because only the first two are Christmas movies. So maybe if we if we find ourselves doing like another two like christmas movies mm-hmm. we can do like two diehard movies at the end of december and then transition we'll just, into the rest of the franchise after we'll just yeah we'll just time it right so that diehards only in the last two weeks of the month yes yeah get it on out and then three Perfect. onwards is uh in january yep yeah uh but yeah obviously there's a lot of standalone christmas movies that are worth doing but this is mm-hmm. for whatever reason and it wasn't because the tv show was coming out although that was just a natural bit of synergy that that happened yeah. to have just been existing but it was, it was a trilogy, so let's do that, and here we are. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed us running through this. Very different to Dirty Harry, and then 70s disaster movies is going to be different again. Although, interestingly, the one bit of through line there is that we're back to the 70s, because obviously Dirty Harry was 
not the, I mean, not all of it, but the first three were all 70s movies, yeah. and they, they felt mm-hmm. very 70s. So uh, it'd be interesting to see a different side of that era, and we can, yeah. you know, look into it. But yeah, uh, that is us. So thank you very much for joining us. Of course, you can support all the content by liking, subscribing, digging the bell for notifications on YouTube, or rating the podcast five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. But if you want to support us financially and get some bonuses, you get a bonus episode every month uh, on Patreon, patreon.com slash TV. Anything from the $3 tier or up, you'll get the bonus episode. Uh, for this, it was Christmas with the Cranks. For Dirty Harry, we did the gauntlet with Clint Eastwood. Well, not, he wasn't on the podcast. He was in the movie, <laughs> just for the record. Um, no, he was on the podcast. you got to pay Patreon to see it, though. <laughs> so Link. you get that, you get early access at the $5 tier, and there's bonuses for other shows that are on Mail Fuzz movies and other stuff as well. So go and have a look and see if you want to do that. Or you can use the Super Thanks button for a one-time donation on YouTube. Anything at all is, is, is appreciated. Uh, every dollar counts, of course. And if you can't give money, that's okay. Don't feel bad. Just uh, do all the other things we said. Click all the buttons and share us on social media whatever social media still exists uh, by the time this gets released in december <laughs> share us on it so yeah uh, thank you very much for joining us we always appreciate it uh, i will thank our patreon producers as well before we go which is one of our higher tiers thank you very much to tyler hess and the palaces board now christopher moy david brown al tribesman and allison m fordice thank you to you all and thank you to all of our patrons for keeping all the content coming but that is the collector's cut we're going into a new season so hopefully you'll join us for some disaster adventures in the Woo. next, you know, five weeks. Uh, so thank you once <laughs> again. Keep watching movies. And I wish I'd never been Santa Claus at all. What have you done? <laughs>